now. Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk650andkste.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk650KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, daily garden tips, retweets, and snark. And at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, there is always a garden dialogue going on where this week you can find out how to tell what's wrong with your citrus tree based on the yellow color of the leaf. The yellow color of the leaf does not indicate just one thing. It really depends on the pattern of the yellow. And there are examples posted at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page on what to look for on your citrus trees and what that yellowing condition may indeed be caused by. Also, we answer the question, is honey bee vomit? We answer that question. And, and much more <laughs> there at the, the old Facebook page. Hey, look who's here. Quentin Young is here from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. They're at uh, Fair Oaks and Mission. And why aren't you at work? Uh, I have to go to work after oh, this. Do you? Yeah. Okay. I had to go in and open the nursery, and then I got I came here, and then I'm going back to work. All right. Well, we're going to... I'm playing hooky. Okay. Well, this is a good way to play hooky. It is. Yeah. All right. We can talk pruning, winter pruning of plants. Uh, we talked roses last week, so we'll this week we'll talk about, oh, I don't know, fruit trees and ornamental trees and shrubs and answer people's questions that get phoned in at 576-1578 here in the 916 or outside the area, 866 866- Three three one eight two five five. Email. Send it to Fred at farmerfred.com. Who's running the board today? Look, it's Mike. He's here. Oh, good. All right, and and he'll be busy for the Garden Grappler at eleven o'clock, answering your calls as we find a winner of a contest. And uh, oh, we got special prizes this week too. So get set for that. All right. Quentin Young, besides being the manager at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, where, uh, by the way, what's in stock there now? Oh, boy, we got a bunch of roses, 500 roses. Did you get, move out all the Christmas trees, though? Yes, we actually <laughs> sold all of our Christmas trees. Congratulations. And we sold out early again this year, so we're very happy. Congrats. Thank you to our customers. Yes. Yeah, so um, 500 roses that just came in. I've got a bunch of um, liners for berries, um, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, figs. Dwarf mulberries, pomegranates. Um, I just got like three shipments of house plants in, so now's a good time to uh, do some house plants. We're going to be doing uh, terrarium soon. Mm. Uh, boy, we got all kinds of stuff. We got a bunch of pottery I have to price and put out. We got statuary in. We all got all kinds of stuff. What's in the seed rack? Uh, seed rack. We've got um, all your winter stuff, okay. um, plus all your summer stuff. If you want to start looking and thinking about it. You know, Renee's, Renee's Garden and Seed Savers Exchange. So, and I got a new line of, um, from Sandia Seed. It's a really uh, great assortment of hot peppers. Ooh, okay. Yeah, hot, different kinds of habaneros, different kinds of, um, we got the uh, Carolina Reaper. We got all the really hot ones, the ghost peppers. So, Really? You're, you're going to do that to people? <laughs> yes. They're, they're really popular. Yes, they are, but they need a long, warm growing season. They do. They really do. Yeah, and they usually don't start producing until about October. Right, and uh, I know some people who try to overwinter their uh, hot pepper plants. Yeah, you can. You can sort of grow them as a little tree if you want to bring them in and greenhouse them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you may get uh, peppers a little earlier the following year. Yeah, 
So that, that might be worth uh, giving it a try. Uh, you mentioned Renee's Garden Seeds. Uh, one of my Renee always has some very interesting uh, seeds and varieties to try every year. And uh, now I'm not a big fan of uh, sweet or uh, hot peppers. I, I think my cutoff point's about 1,000 Scoville units. <laughs> so it, it's whatever's below that that I tend to uh, uh, go after. But. Uh, she has a variety, and I'm trying to remember the name of the variety of um, sweet pepper seeds I like from her. I, I want to say circus, but I don't think that's right. I'm going. Circus to... is one of the radishes that we carry from her. Really? They're, yeah, yeah. It's a, or maybe it's a carrot. Circus is the carrot. They're a multicolored mix. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's that circus. But there are um, sweet peppers that she sells. And, oh, I see they carry the boot jalokia, too. You know what she has that is warm that does fall under my taste palates? And it's probably my favorite uh, warm pepper and grows quite easily and very productive in our area is the New Mex Joey Parker. Yeah, and we have actually we've got three different kinds of um, hatch chilies. Um from this seed company. Yeah, you can see it right there. There's the um, Peppers of the World. Oh, no, you can see it right there. If you there. go to our website, yeah. Okay, all right. The uh, What is so special about the hatch chilies? The flavor. I think you get a good flavor of, of pepper without the spice. But doesn't it have to be grown in New Mexico? I'm going to say no. Okay, well, I mean, it will grow here, but for that flavor. Uh, I'm going to say, we. I mean, it's similar, hot and dry. You know, our summers are fairly, fairly similar. Mm-hmm. All right. So anyway, uh, there's a lot of new varieties to try. One area of uh, to help you narrow it down if you want to try new stuff are the All-America Selections winner. And on next week's show, we're going to be talking uh, with the All-America Selections president about the 2018 winners. But in the past, some of the um, AAS winners that I've had really good luck with that I, that I really enjoy – are uh, peppers um, like the tequila, which is one of my favorites. The tequila is a purple sweet pepper and very uh, tasty, great in salads. Uh, what else you got in the way of AAS winners out there? The ones that we've carried in the past um, that that have done really well for us, the holy moly, that's a really good uh, sort of jalapeno style, kind of ripens to sort of a dark purplish brown um gypsy that's a really popular mm, sweet pepper yeah, i grow gypsy every year it carmen is, carmen good one yeah and the giant marconi those are all good sweet peppers yep yeah the giant marconi uh and the carmen uh and especially the gypsy yeah uh produce year after year i mean new plants but i've i like them because they are a consistent performer here the color goes it starts off sort of a a pale yellow and gets green and then red. Yeah. If you leave it Really good there. sweet pepper. Mm-hmm. Excellent. One that is close to the gypsy that performs in much the same manner is the flamingo. And I think the flamingo is the property of Harris seeds, but it has many of the same traits as gypsy, and it, too, performs well in our area year after year. But that's not why we came here to talk, is it? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? Exactly. I'm still... Oh! You know we're going to start getting calls about tomatoes soon. You know, are your tomato plants in yet? Yeah. It's going to happen. I mentioned that over on the KFBK show that historically, what happens is the first sunny weekend in February, the nurseries are inundated with requests for tomato plants. Yeah, 
When do you get your tomato plants? I don't want to talk about you. Okay. But yeah, no, but I mean, seriously, now's a good time to start thinking about your summer. I mean, we've we've got a huge selection of winter vegetables. So mm-hmm. now if you want a garden, now's a great time to get your winter stuff in. We've got onion, garlic, shallot sets, potatoes, things like that. But now's a good time to start looking at your catalogs and start thinking about your summer vegetables as well. Right, exactly. That uh, Renee's variety that I was thinking of that uh, I like so much is the called the Italian Sweet, the Heirloom Italian Sweet Sunset Mix. And the Sunset Mix Seeds uh, is an excellent uh, seed from Renee of uh, sweet peppers. It's an Heirloom Italian Sweet Pepper, the Sunset Mix. All right. The uh, garden question, uh, as a matter of fact, we have a question about catalogs from Tim in Grass Valley. He says, I want to get your input on a catalog, the Burgess Seed and Plant Company. What are your thoughts about ordering plants from these kinds of companies? I live in Grass Valley. Although we have some very good nurseries here and in the greater region, these plant companies sometimes offer things I just can't get here. Well, uh, I think you'd have better luck with seeds than plants as far as plants are one of those things that it's just difficult for me to order over the Internet because I want to see the plant. I want to examine the plant. There's just so much. I I want to feel, touch, smell. Yeah. yeah. I want to experience that plant. And some companies, uh, some companies are good about showing you like this is what we're going to ship you because you might have this image of this beautiful two-foot plant coming in the mail and you'll get you know a little six inch piece of root with a little piece of stalk on it right um and and that's okay but i think you should know ahead of time of what the plant's going to look like um when it ships a lot of these places may not be able to ship to california mm-hmm. that's the next thing to think about um or they re, you know they shouldn't if they're not allowed to um and then the third thing is when are they going to ship if you're buying from, let's say, a company maybe in Canada or Michigan or Illinois, let's say, um, their availability for shipping is going to be later than, let's say, something in California. You know, they might not ship till April or May, um, depending on what you're looking for. Yeah, it's if if you want to go ahead and order a plant from a catalog, I would say start with a small order. And then if you're disappointed, you're not out yeah. too much. And look at their reviews. Yeah, look you at know, the reviews. Are there yeah. a lot of complaints yeah. about people sending things back? Yeah. What are, what's their return policy? What's their exchange policy? Things like that. Are they an established company? Right. There's a lot of things to go through. And don't necessarily go with just the reviews that might be posted at that company's website. Check Yelp. Check davesgarden.com yeah. and other review sites. And look at the dates, too. Yeah. There's a lot of positive reviews that are posted in one day. It could be a bot, you know, so there's yeah. certain ways. But my first my first thought or first question looking at the catalog is, do you ship to California? Right. Yeah. Be careful of that. Yeah. All right. Don't get your hopes up too much on that. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll head to the phones, answer some gardening questions at 576-1578 in the 916-866-331-8255 outside the area. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Dave Ramsey here. Are you- You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With today's guest, Quentin Young. He's the manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, located at the corner of Fair Oaks and Mission. 
Also a master gardener. He uh, is part of the work crew in the orchard out there, which uh, I love to send people to to see what six-foot fully bearing fruit trees can look like and how easily they could fit into a typical backyard and uh, have enough fruit for your entire family. And uh, there's a workshop coming up next Saturday at the Fair Oaks uh, Hort Center about winter pruning and much more. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Were you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, there'll be uh, quite a few different workshops. Um, so Vicki Marie and I, and I are going to be doing the one at, uh, on pruning fruit trees. There's also going to be a workshop on pruning grapes. That'll be in the vineyard. Um, there'll be a workshop on pruning berries, and that includes blueberries and cane berries. There'll also be a landscape tree pruning workshop. Um, these are going to be at different times. And, again, if you go to the um, – Fair Oaks Horticulture Center website, you can see the agenda for Saturday. There's also going to be um, a workshop on constru- constructing a worm bin. Um, they're going to be selling the, the 2018 gardening guide there, and there's going to be a couple different ongoing demonstrations that you can just see whenever you have free time as well. Any grapes for sale? Uh, I don't see that listed on here. Okay. And the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center on Fair Oaks Boulevard in Fair Oaks Park, just south of Madison. And the most important part, it's free. Yes, it's free from 9 to noon, Next rain Saturday. or shine. Next Saturday. And we were talking about uh, how in the orchard area at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, you're not shy about labeling the problem trees, what's wrong with them, and what you're doing for them. And we were talking about crown gall on a picotum tree. It's a tree you're going to be taking out. And John writes in an email he sent to Fred at FarmerFred.com. He says, concerning the crown gall at the Fair Oaks Gardens that you were talking about earlier, can people carry the disease back on their shoes? Should they clean off their shoes when they get home? That's a good question. I know that can be. I know that it can be transmitted from infected tools, um, but I don't know about it being transmitted via via foot traffic. And considering that, for the most part, if you're walking through the orchard area, you're walking on mulch. Yeah, a pretty good thick layer of mulch. Yeah, so it's not like you're in the mud or anything right, like that. Right. So that may play a part. I, You know, it can't be that on your way back to your car, you just scrape, check your shoes before you get in your car. Uh, but that's a good question. And it's, it's an area we don't talk about very much, and we probably should about how diseases get transferred in a garden. This is especially true with a lot of tomato diseases, that it's very easy to move problems uh, and nematodes uh, from bed to bed just via your tools. That's correct, yeah. So it's important to clean off your tools. If you're working in an area where your plants have a problem and you're not sure what the problem is, when you're done working in that area, clean your tools off before you move on to the next garden area, just in case unless you get a positive ID on what the problem just might be, because uh, that can happen. Pruning, ornamental shrubs, trees, what do you look for this time of year? This time of year, you're going to be, well, first of all, I would de- depend on what you're pruning. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. and that was, That's where I start. And then I'd be, why am I pruning? You know, am I pruning um, dead or diseased branches out? Am I pruning out uh, crossing branches, that sort of thing? And then I really like that that picture that you posted about the different kinds of the three different kinds of cuts right. because I often see that not being done. There's nothing worse than seeing a cut done on a tree that tears down that layer of cambium layer when that tree falls when they're halfway through cutting it. Um, and also when they cut into the branch collar. 
what he's talking about is the three-cut method uh, for removing a large branch. And at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, there is a very nice illustration of the right way to cut a big branch. You just don't want to start sawing off a big branch from the top and let it go timber, because when it goes timber, it's going to, as it breaks, it's going to start stripping off the bark below the point of your cut. It could even strip down the trunk of the tree, and you're not just harming the bark, you're harming the plumbing system for the tree, which is right below the bark layer, the cambium layer, the vascular system of the tree. So with the three-cut method, you're doing an undercut on that big branch, maybe 8 or 12 inches out from the trunk of the tree, an undercut that only goes up maybe halfway, and then go a little bit further out and do the second cut, which is a top cut. And you can cut through that entire branch, and when it starts to fall, it's only going to strip back to the point where you made that undercut. And then you're left with that little 8-inch stub or so, and that's where cutting becomes critical. Yeah, that's when you make that clean cut. Um, right. staying outside of the branch collar, then like you said, you don't paint it. Right. And that branch collar has the medicine, if you will, necessary to uh, help that tree heal on its own. Yeah. You don't want to make a flush cut with on next to the trunk of the tree. You want to leave that uh, area that has just a little bit of growth on it that you'll see. It's sort of a bumpy area that uh, the branch collar or the branch ridge, you want to leave that on. So, as Steve Zion once very cleverly explained it, almost enough to hang your hat, but not quite enough. Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good um, description. Yeah. And why don't you want to use wound paint? Well, it's funny, you know, you and, I, you and I were talking about this, about how always keeping up on, you know, latest research. When right. I was a kid, you had a can of... Um, Doc Farwells. Yeah, and it was a, <laughs> you would paint every single cut that you made. Yeah. Um, but you don't do that now because you trap moisture and bacteria behind it. Right. And the tree has its own system for compartmentalizing the wound. Assuming you've made a good, clean cut outside the branch collar, let it let it do its own work. All right. Pruning shrubs. What shrubs could be pruned in winter? What is best left for another time of the year? Oh, boy. Um, I guess it would depend on the kind of shrub. You know, a lot of things, let's say like a buddleia, you know, that, or the caryopters, there's a lot of woody perennials that now would be a good time to cut them to the ground or close to the ground. And the buddleia, of course, is the butterfly, butterfly bush. bush. Yeah, there's a lot of things that bloom really well on new growth, mm-hmm. so now would be a good time to cut them back. I wouldn't cut back anything that's going to be late winter or spring flowering, so I wouldn't prune camellias, azaleas, rhododendrons, uh, forsythia, lilacs, daphne. Uh, flowering quinces. I wouldn't prune any of those right now because you'd cut off most of the flowering buds. Yeah, flowering quince is an interesting plant because it it really is the harbinger for spring with those beautiful pink or salmon-colored buds that appear usually in February. Yeah. But when there's nothing on it like it is now, it just kind of looks like a big, ugly tumbleweed. Yeah. It's kind of a rangy, bare branch, thorny-looking thing. But for the time being, let it be. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. The winter, winter, uh, f- winter or late spring flower, early spring flowering, I would leave alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you could definitely, uh, let's say, prune. You could probably prune some of your boxwoods. Okay. You know, you could clean up some of your evergreen hedges. In part because the weather, I think, is going to be fairly mild. Um, you might want to look at certain things. Um, I would leave your 
uh, lavenders and things like that until the weather warms up a little bit more mm-hmm. and then give them a bit of a haircut. But salvias for sure look kind of ragged right now, and I, I would clean them up. Oh, salvias. Yeah, and okay. speaking of which, I think they're going to be doing a, a pruning salvias demonstration at the um, Open Garden Day, at the Workshop Day on this Saturday in the one, Well Garden. One of the easiest plants to propagate are salvias. Very easy. You can take cuttings of salvias and plomp them in the ground where you want them to grow. I don't know if doing that this time of the year, though, you would have much success because of the soil temperature being as cool as it is, about 50 degrees. Yeah, I would maybe try cutting it, do a cutting inside, rooting them inside. Right, or get a some four-inch pots or one-gallon pots, put in an easy-draining soil mix like a seed-starting mix, and poke some holes in it and then take uh, the uh, salvia cuttings, and about pencil-sized cuttings, and, and put them in that easy-draining mix and try to keep it fairly warm maybe yeah. put it on a propagation mat yeah or just put it near your house that sort of thing yeah. keep it dry you know not not overly saturated right but uh yeah there's a lot of benefits to um borrowing plants from your neighbors with their permission sure <laughs> what do you guys do with your salvia cuttings uh we throw them away i may have to come out there next saturday yeah there you go Oh, you mean at the at the yeah. uh, Hort Center? Yeah. Actually, I don't know. You'd have to ask the well people. I thought okay. you meant at the nursery. All right. Maybe I'll still come out anyway. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, let's delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. More pruning advice as well. And we'll uh, set you up for the Garden Grappler coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Mark Haney here for the Haney. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. The weather for the week ahead is a little uh, interesting. You got fog and sun today and tomorrow. Probably more fog than sun. But then Tuesday, chance of showers. Wednesday, maybe they're not sure. Thursday, they're not sure. Friday, they're not sure. So let's just say there's a chance of storms. In fact, the National Weather Service is saying it is a change to a wet weather pattern this upcoming week. Several storms will move through the region this week and early next week. The first storm will have high snow levels near major Trans-Sierra Pass levels or higher. A stronger system with much lower snow levels is expected Wednesday night through Friday with a third system possible early next week. The first storm is going to move through late Monday through early Tuesday morning with some lingering showers through Tuesday afternoon. While this will not be a big storm, precipitation amounts remain uncertain. Yes, we are in weasel weather season. We're not sure what's going to happen. They are predicting about a half inch of rain for the Central Valley, up to an inch of rain for the foothills. Snow in the mountains, maybe two to four inches above 7,000 feet. So really not that much, but Cold, wet, maybe windy patterns can impact what you prune, how you prune, what you spray. And I think it bears repeating Quentin Young from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery about uh, this is the time of year when people start thinking seriously about controlling peach leaf curl. Yes. But the the recommended products for peach leaf curl, yeah, there's two. There's uh, copper. Then there's the more deadly chlorothalonol. Yes. And and then the third, there's sort of a mild, more mild um, copper soap solution. You talking about a lime, not lime sulfur though? No, no, no. no. It's it's kind well, of a, a step Bordeaux below. Mixture. No, no, no. It's even it's it's even less uh, has less of the the copper in it than I'll have to get you the name for it. Um, it's like a copper soap. Okay. Yeah. 
It's a milder solution, let's say. But with rain on and off in the forecast, who knows when and who knows for how long, that makes spraying a little difficult to do because you need a, a certain amount of dry weather after application. Yes. Yeah. And you want to, like you said, you want to time it with the bud break. Yeah. Right. So you're kind of, it's a bit of a waiting game and a watching game. Right. And bud break, uh, you're in the orchard more often than, than I am. and uh, It seems to be earlier every year, too. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, for instance, I'm just I'm timing things like the Daphne is about to start blooming, which mm-hmm. I think is early. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain things that I'm watching that are, that are blooming earlier this year. So I, I always watch the fruit trees. Are any of the fruit trees even close to bud break? The only one that actually that's blooming right now is the, remember we talked about this, the Prunus, the Prunus Mume? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're actually in bloom right now. Wow. That's that's the Japanese apricot slash plum. Coming up at 1130, we have an interview with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum, and he's going to be talking about the Prunus Mume and the three varieties they have at the Arboretum. And I remember him mentioning that the, the red-flowered version is in full bloom right now. Yeah, our, la- our purple, yeah, our, our Peggy, I forget the last name. That's the one that's blooming right now. Really beautiful. Yeah, and old-time farmers used to use the Prunus mume as their phenological signal plant for spraying because they knew that when the Prunus mume was in bloom, that meant bud break is imminent right. on the other varieties. Right. So they would start spraying for peach leaf curl. And we were eating those preserved plums the last time I was here, remember? The, yes. crack, the crack seed? <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the acquired taste, but yeah, they're good. Yeah, yeah. We have, we've determined um, that you have a stomach of iron. That's that, I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The, <laughs> I was in the Peace Corps. I'll go with that. Okay. The uh, But the Prunus Mume, if, you, if you're if you looking for garden alarm clocks, if you will, that's a good tree to have if you have other fruit trees to let you know that you better get serious about uh, upping your spray game yeah. when you see the Prunus Mume in bloom. Very important. All right. Let's uh, delve into some email questions. John from Turlock emails in. He says, uh, Fred, I need to transplant a couple of apple trees from 15-gallon containers that I've been training as espaliers. They will be on a three-rail fence about 50 feet long. How far apart should they be planted from each other, and how far apart from the trunk should I put my one-gallon emitters on my drip line? And let's talk a little bit about uh, espalying, because you have experience, Quentin, with espalying out at the Fair Oaks Hort Center. Do apples take well to espalier? Yes, very well. Apples and pears, in large part because they have such long-lived fruiting spurs. But yes. So basically, you're taking a three-dimensional tree and turning it into a two-dimensional tree. Yes. But by allowing it to grow along a fence line. Now, he has a couple, so I imagine he means two apple trees. And if the fence line is 50 feet apart, 25 feet? Well, I guess it depends on how long or how how big you want them to get. So yeah. that's the thing about, you know, fruit trees, again, you're going you're gonna to dictate to them how, you, how big you want them to be. If if you want to grow each, you could grow each one. I don't know. Let's say twelve feet, twelve feet per tree. So you've got the trunk and then six feet of branch on either side. You could go that small. Okay. Um, you could go larger if you wanted to, maybe uh, eight to ten feet on either side. So okay. that would give you about twenty feet total. So um, you're recommending about, somewhere between, say, 12 and 15 feet for yeah. spacing them. Yes. And you, I guess you would start in the middle of that fence line and let them go out? I think so. Again, it depends on whether you want to add more things, right? Are you going yeah. to add some more espaliered pear trees, things like that? I have a funny feeling that John and Turlock, when he sees two trees on a 50-foot-long fence line, he's going to want more. Yeah. 
now he's got so a three rail fence that's a good idea doesn't say how tall the fence is though ideally for an espalier to apple how far apart should those rails be i'd probably go at least two to three feet apart because you want to get some some sunlight on those lower branches all right so and make sure that you paint them with trunk paint because those branches are going to be um really exposed to the full hot sun in the summertime and they will sunburn ah okay so uh, you you i guess you could use a whitewash too of yeah 50 50 mix exactly interior yeah. white latex paint and water exactly to do that um so if you got that and those three rails then would be spaced three feet apart ideally yeah two yeah. to three feet so if you start say the first rail towards the bottom at the one foot line yeah you, you could okay. do that yeah so it'd be one four seven so you'd have at least a seven or eight foot tall fence. I think so. That would be good. Yeah. You could even squeeze it into about a standard six foot fence. A lot of it, I think, depends on are you buying them pre espaliered or are you going to be making your own? Yeah. So, so that's going to give you a little bit more flexibility if you're making your own. So how do you design an espalier for an existing fence? Now, this is a rail fence, so that makes it kind of easy, especially yes. if it's three rails. Yeah. But if, if for your standard wooden fence, redwood planks... How do you design it so... I would want something maybe that's a little bit more freestanding mm-hmm. so that if the fence goes down, it doesn't take your fruit tree down with you. <laughs> well, the fruit tree may be the only thing holding the fence that's up in true. time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a pro-con thing. But if the fence needed to get replaced and you have it attached to that fence, yeah. you're going to lose both. Exactly. And you want to be able to... Uh, ultimately, you want to be able to get on the other side of the espalier for maintenance and pruning. Yeah. So again, the benefits of John's uh, three-rail fence... That makes sense because then he can get on the other side of the fence. Because it's and, fairly open. Yeah, yeah, it's fairly open. So, yeah, that's important, too. What a lot of people don't uh, realize, if they want to espalier fruit trees on a fence line, you need access to the back. And so that means having a space, say, between the fence and the espalier, three feet. Two to three feet at yeah. least, yeah, yeah, for you to be able to get back there. Yeah. yeah. And if for nothing else, you know, to prune out the branches that are starting to poke away at the fence. And now for the drip line, uh, he wants to put a drip line. That's a good idea. I would use two drip lines. I would do, yeah, two two drip lines. You're saying like maybe one in the front, one in the back. Yeah, like railroad up. tracks yeah, running yeah. the length of that fence. In a perfect world, yeah. Yeah. Uh, depending on the consistency of your soil, those one-gallon emitters might be 18 inches apart. At least. I'm not a big fan of using emitters on on you know we use micro sprayers at the orchard yeah yeah so if you're going to use an emitter don't put an emitter right at the trunk which is what everybody right. always does um i try to at least when the tree's starting put i would do at least two emitters and put them at the zone between the uh native soil and the pot that you planted Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to make sure that that way the water is getting to the potted part of the plant and also the water is getting down so that the plant can spread its roots out. Are these sprayers 360 or 180? Well, now we're still talking about the drip emitters. Oh, drip. Okay. All yeah. right. Okay. For the sprayers, that's a little bit different yeah. because then, you're, then you would want sort of a full circle effect, but that's going to be... Um, a little bit. You could do like 180 in the front and 180 in the back. Yeah. Or four. Or on either um, side. Yeah. Or four um, quarter mm-hmm. type things. But the the problem with the drip emitters is I would probably want to add a few more in a couple of years, which most people forget to do. Lines, you mean? 
uh, or, or emitter plug. So why not uh, use the original lines where they're spaced at 12 inches instead of 18 inches? That would be great. You mean the okay. pre-drilled ones? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. what I prefer. Yeah. Yeah, most people aren't familiar with those. The pre, the, they're laser drilled and they have the baffle filter behind right. it. I like that a lot better for trees. They're more expensive, but it's well worth it. I've been using that system of drip line for 15, 20 years, and uh, they have held up uh, all that time. At least I think they have held up all this time since we moved two years ago. I'm not sure what condition they're in now, but I bet they're okay. But uh, I I use those uh, exclusively, and they do fine. We need to take a break. When we come back, let's delve into more in the email. Got a garden question? Give us a call. 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Details about the upcoming Garden Grappler 2 on the way here at Get Growing on Talk 650 KSDE. January is... You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Garden Grappler coming up after the news at 11 o'clock. A chance to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. And if you've been listening to the show, uh, you will pick up some some clues as well. All right, but we'll do that a little after 11 o'clock. Quentin Young is here from... Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, also a Sacramento County Master Gardener, loves to answer garden questions. And David writes in from Carmichael. He says, help, 20-year-old azaleas look very sick. Leaves are turning yellow. Plants are looking dead on half of the large plants. They've always been beautiful and strong. What to do? What to do? Well, golly, I'd dig down and see what sort of soil that is. Yeah, I mean, um, I think there's two different things, right? Azaleas right now are turning yellow, mm-hmm. again, because of partly because of the weather, partly because they're putting a lot of energy into bud production. So my first question would be, have you been feeding them? And have you been feeding them with a fertilizer that affects the pH? Because they need acidic soil to pull up the correct nutrients. Right. The dieback um, could be related to the azalea's age. And depending on where they are and how you've been watering them. What is the lifespan for an azalea? I mean, 20, 25 years is pretty good. Okay. You know, in our neighborhood, there's a lot of established homes, um, you know, that had azaleas put in, let's say, in the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s, and they're starting to fail now. Okay. You, we forget, you know, our droughts are, are tough on them. And then we had that great rainy winter, which was beautiful last year, but you had a lot of plants that had been somewhat acclimated to the drought. And then we had them sitting in wet soil, really wet waterlogged soil for months on end. A lot of that has to do with where those azaleas were planted because azaleas do like some protection from direct sun. And so as a result, a lot of people might plant them near the house where they're going to get some shade. Unfortunately, it may have also been near a rain gutter. Exactly, yeah. And that that didn't help last year with, with all that rain. So the dieback, there's two different problems, at least to me. One might be the... Yellowing leaves might be um, a chlorotic issue, mm-hmm. but the dieback could just be that they're they're entering their senescence. Yeah. Ooh, what a nice, polite way to put it. <laughs> yeah. With rain gutters. It's a scrabble word. Yes, it's senescence. Wow. The, uh, the answer with the uh, rain gutters, of course, is to extend those gutters out so that the water isn't puddling at the side of the house where it's just going to accumulate and not doing your plants any good next to the house or the foundation of your house for that matter either yeah. and the, the cheap way to extend those gutters is to go to a home improvement store and buy a big three inch 
line of black flexible tubing that you attach to the, uh, the end of your gutter and take that water out temporarily and just remember to jump over the tube every time you need to go outside or have it professionally done where the drain line is extended with hard pipe, and that's the ideal system, at that point, at all points, where the water is leaving the gutters on the roof and have a designed hard pipe system taking the water to the lowest point of the property. Or even have a um, design a swale, you know, the, yeah, with a right. rain garden. Those are, those are great, too. A great way to try to rejuvenate the water table. But yeah, the, the biggest problem I find with azaleas um, are age mm-hmm. and improper feeding. All right. Now, last time you were here, you brought in some nifty Asian greens uh, for us to uh, sample, and I took some home and planted. And one of them I was really impressed with because it bolted. And by bolted, I mean it set up flowers during that mild weather we've had. It hasn't been that cold of a winter. And this particular plant that uh, was that you had brought was a broccoli variety called Sessantina grossa. Yes, that's an Italian. That's like the broccoli rob, yeah. And that's actually related to beets as well. But the leaves are very edible. Very edible, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and as well as usually the stems and the flower buds, if you can get them before they develop. And But this one, and I show you some pictures of the yellow flower, sort of a mustard-like flower. Exactly, yeah. Th- that it sends up. And the bees were loving it. Yeah, there isn't much for the bees to enjoy right now. Yeah, I'll let all of my brassicas go to go to flower this time of year because um, we noticed at the nursery we have a lot of baby bumblebees. Mm. They've come out early, and they're actually um, pretty energetic right now, even in this weather. Really, they come out in the fog. Yeah, we've oh. been surprised. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Other Asian greens that you brought, and uh, others I've been trying that really work well in salads i found uh, are the leaves of fava beans fava beans are great to eat yeah yeah and uh, the sugar pod peas sugar, the leaves yeah the leaves and the tendrils yeah. yeah and there's actually even um a type of pea that you can get that sort of overproduces if you will tendrils and leaves just for harvesting and eating <laughs> really yeah i'd like yeah. to know that one the other uh Asian green family that I've been very impressed with are the bok choys, the pak choys, the joy choys, all those choys. Tatsoi, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's quite a few of those. Yeah. And a lot of those can be eaten raw or you can cook with them later. Right. And, and that's in addition to you know spinach and lettuce and chard, all of which do well this time of year. Yes. And I would think that you would have some plants available. Of those. All of those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then getting back to, you know, bright light Swiss chard is a AAS winner. Right. Believe it or not. Yeah, yeah it is. It's a, it's a just gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, in a salad, if you're looking to add some color to a green salad, uh, the, those that bright light Swiss chard is a great addition to the it. Chard. Um, we've got probably, I don't know, maybe it seems like we have almost 10 different kinds of kale. Mm-hmm. We've got the Italian kale, the Russian kale, we've got dwarf kale, we've got um, lance kale, we've got quite a few different kales. Um, those are really good. You can eat them raw when they're small or cook them when they're larger. Um, collard greens, uh, all kinds of stuff right now. All right. And, of course, lettuce and spinach. Lettuces and spinach, uh, arugula, yeah. a lot of the salad greens, endive, radicchio, all that stuff. And when we say greens, they're all not necessarily green, especially in lettuce. There's some red leaf lettuce varieties. Really beautiful, yeah, yeah. because again, back getting back to the A A A S winners, um, red sales lettuce, really pretty. Mm-hmm, yeah. And there's a speckled or speckle speckled bib lettuce, um, really nice. There's a um, uh, there's a French heirloom called Marvel of Four Seasons. There's a really nice one. 
You didn't want to say quatre de sessions? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to pronounce it in French. All right. But um, there's quite a few really nice lettuces that give you really nice color contrast. I have been on the uh, quixotic quest, he tried to say, of finding a lettuce variety that won't bolt in the summertime in our area. Yeah. And one of the ones that comes closest to not bolting is that uh, four seasons lettuce the the session quatre de session whatever of four seasons. Marvel of four seasons, thank <laughs> you very much. Uh, is a lettuce variety that comes very close to not bolting in the summertime. The other is uh, the Sierra variety, is okay. Sierra Sierra Nevada. Uh, one called Red Cross. Uh, but it seems like by the time you get to August, at about the third or fourth heat wave, yeah, they, they're, they give they're, up. they're toast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but still, to have lettuce varieties that don't turn bitter eleven months of the year, yeah, hey, that's fine. And then don't forget, also, um, we talked about this last time. I have the um, sorrel, that's mm. a good one, and then the good King Henry. That's a chenopod. That's another good one. Yes, wild spinach. Good King Henry. <laughs> All right, a lot of good greens that you can plant in your yard right now. Is it too late to plant them from seed? Uh, I wouldn't say too late. I don't know if the soil temperatures would be necessarily amenable to them. I think we're in the 50s. Yeah, low 50s. Yeah, right yeah. Now, so you yeah. could try. If, if you're worried about the soil temperature, start the seeds in a, in a pot. I mean, most of these don't need a lot of root space. Mm-hmm. So if you've got some uh, extra terracotta pot sitting around... Fill them up with some potting soil and put some um, uh, salad green seeds in there. I think that's a great idea. Put them in four-inch pots and maybe uh, a few pots of parsley as well. And then when you need them in the kitchen, you could just keep a few of those pots on your kitchen counter. Perfect. And then use those. All of those. Dill, cilantro, all of those. Yeah. All right. I think we either have to take a break or Mike has to go to the bathroom. I'm not sure which, but we'll take a break for news anyway. When we come back, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. And uh, it's a very nice prize. So get set for that. Quentin Young will be the uh, judge and hanging jury for today's competition. So we'll have that. We'll answer more of your garden questions. And a little bit later on, we'll be talking to Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum. Find out what's happening out there in the way of wintertime color, wintertime plant interest, and there's plenty. So keep it right here for Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. If you're struggling with... Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. If uh, you were listening to the last segment, you shouldn't have any problem answering today's Garden Grappler. Mike, are you ready in that control room to answer phones and write down names of possible winners? Great. Quentin Young from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery is here. Quentin, are you ready to judge the quality of these answers? I am. All right. Today's Garden Grappler question. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, little animals gathered there by the light of the electric radio. The question is, name an edible, cool-season, green, leafy vegetable. Name an edible, cool-season, green, leafy vegetable. It, It could, green being, it's a green, not necessarily the color green okay okay so we're expanding yes green okay so name an edible cool season green leafy vegetable all five callers get a prize special bonus prize for caller five because as you know you cannot repeat an earlier answer the numbers to call in in the 916 area code 576-1578 576-1578 outside the area if it matters 866 
866-331-8255. Name an edible, cool season, green leafy vegetable. Go for it. Now, Quentin, our job is not to give away any answers in this segment while people call in. That may be difficult. So let's, uh, let's, uh, okay, we'll deal with something that's non-leafy vegetables Okay. in the questions here. All right, Diane writes in in the email she sent to Fred at FarmerFred.com. I live in Citrus Heights. My Meyer citrus tree is established in the backyard in a raised bed above the pool facing west. The east side is backed by a fence. I can't figure out why the crop is small and the fruit is unusually small. Also, could it have been a lack of water? It appeared in stress several months ago. I watered at a trickle slowly and deeply with the garden hose on both of the accessible sides. It then lost more yellowed leaves, not knowing how much the neighbor waters in the back. Could it be too much water? How much should I be watering now? Well, Diane, at least we know it's a watering issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So, yeah, it, it, when citrus trees start their dieback this time of year, somehow water's always involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, one of the first things you should do is uh, dig down in the soil, see how yeah, wet see it is. Yeah, see what your soil is like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where would you do that digging? I would try to do out by the um, drip line. Okay, and when we're talking about the drip line of the tree, we're talking about the outer canopy. Yeah, of the where tree. the yeah the canopy follows the canopy down to the soil. Yeah, and if you can, ideally use a soil probe, but you want to try to see what that soil is like. Is it too wet or too dry? For those who don't know what a soil probe is, explain that to them in case they think they have to get a truffle pig. So it's good. It's uh, usually it's a T-shaped device that is hollow um, that you're going to basically almost sort of screw into the ground. And then you pull it up, and it has um, basically one side of it is open, and you can see a core sample of your soil. And it's really easy to determine um, what your soil is like in terms of moisture content from Mm -hmm. that probe. And what you're looking for is the moisture level of that soil, so it, it pays to hold it in your hand. If you use a soil probe, you can kind of pry that soil out of the probe and and rub it around your hands. Smell it. Smell it. Yeah. yeah. Smell it. Because smell it. Yeah. yeah. If it's, if it's sm- stinky, then that means standing water. Yeah. You know, it's got yeah. that that uh, rotted egg smell. Mm-hmm. If it's really crumbly and you can't form a ball, then that means it's too dry. Um, you know, you sort of you want to make. I would usually make a couple sample test areas. Mm-hmm. Um, then then the next thing would be is, do you ever feed your citrus tree? You know, even at the Hort Center, we feed all of our citrus in the ground once a year. Just um, once a year? Yeah, yeah. Because usually. they're in the ground. They're not in containers. Yeah, yeah. And we usually do that around February, March. All right. Now, Diane's citrus tree is in a raised bed, and that is basically just a big container. Yeah. And I would want to know what the raised bed is like. Does it have drainage? I mean, there's a lot of yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people make the mistake, too, of when they build a raised bed, they just plop soil in there. They do not incorporate the new soil with the existing soil. And when that happens, you can easily develop a pool of water between those two layers of soil. So it helps when you put in a raised bed, maybe only put in an inch or so of new soil and then maybe rototill that in and just get it mixed to allow the drainage to go a little bit further. Uh, So, and again, with the raised bed, it may need more than once a year fertilization. Yep. Because it can get leached out quicker being a raised bed. So chances are it is, uh, our guessing here, 
would be wet soil. I mean, I'm just guessing, but without knowing it. So, uh, you know, the the fun part in our line of work, Quentin, is if we say it's a water problem, we're going to be right 90% of the time. Generally. Yeah. 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 Or wrong plant in the wrong place. Yeah. There's that too. And uh, heavens knows uh, we're seeing more and more of that, which brings up an interesting topic of right plant in the right place. When a lot of people planted their original backyard, there may not have been much in the way of shade. So they planted sun-loving plants. Years later, decades later, trees pop up in neighbors' yards. Maybe you don't have as much sunlight in your backyard as you used to. Yeah, I see that a lot with roses. And in the area where you are, your nursery is in Carmichael, you have a very mature neighborhood around you. Yeah, really good mature canopy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you must get a lot of questions of what can I plant that can take part shade or, or even full shade? Sure. All right. So what do you have any rose recommendations? In that uh, regard? You know, iceberg roses do really well in mm-hmm. 50-50. Just Joey is a good one, too. But a lot okay. of it depends on, you know, I, w- I would prefer for roses that you get, let's say, afternoon sun versus morning sun. Mm-hmm. I find that's a better quality sun for sun-loving plants. Um, but again, there's still a lot of plants that you can grow in a 50-50 okay. mix. Let me make sure I, I heard what you just said. That you would prefer roses get afternoon sun over morning sun? And yeah, for okay. yeah, yeah. For hmm. when you've got that when you've got like when people come in and they say, Oh, I've got a fifty fifty sunshade mix. Yeah. I would rather you have after the afternoon part of the sun for your roses than morning sun. Now we're just talking roses here. Yes. Because in so many plant recommendations yeah. you're for always hydrangeas, looking... I'd want that reversed. Yes. Right. Exactly. I'd like you to have morning sun for hydrangeas yeah. then be in the the shade in the afternoon. Yeah. Or, Same with dogwoods. Or azaleas. Yeah, or azaleas. For you know, matter. you can get by with the southern indica hybrids in the in the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you had gardenias, I'd want the morning sun, the afternoon shade. But for roses I'd want it reversed. Okay. I know uh, when we were talking last week with Baldo and Charlotte from the Sierra Foothills Rose Society, we got on to the topic of roses for part shade. And two of their recommendations uh, included uh, Sally Holmes and Altissimo. Yeah, those are great climbing roses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Sally Holmes is kind of interesting. It's a it's a single-petaled rose in that I think it only has a total of seven or eight petals. I think the same with Altissimo, too. Yeah. And it's that really clear, I call it a Chinese lacquer red. Right. It's a really uh, significant red. And, and, it, and Sally make, Holmes is called, you know, buff, I guess you would describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, it seems like the fewer the petals, the better the chance it can get by with less sun. Mm. And another factor, too, that a lot of people forget about is if you are surrounded by trees that are deciduous, you may be getting enough sun in the wintertime for those rose bushes to put on one heck of a bloom in April. And then after that, you might see a rather rapid decline because of the shade. But, uh, yeah, if you are aiming towards roses for part shade, you might start with the uh, lesser petaled roses. And shrub roses, too, can uh, seem to take it much better as well. Uh, What about some other plants for part shade? Now that so we did. What, what was it? So we did azaleas, camellias. There's quite a few uh, camellias. You got the japonicas and the sasanquas. You've got the hydrangeas. You've got the gardenias. Um, I'm a big fan of a couple of diff- of osmanthus, which is called a false holly. You've got your um, deciduous, not just the dogwood trees, but the red twig dogwoods, the yellow twig dogwoods. Um, anything that's got variegated foliage that might burn in the full sun here in Sacramento. We have a really cool variegated viburnum at the nursery. 
um, the oak leaf hydrangeas. Those mm-hmm. are really nice if you don't like the mop head hydrangeas or the paniculata hydrangeas, the mountain hydrangeas. Boxwood actually does really well. Hmm. Um, so, do, so does Nandina, believe it or not. I believe that, yeah. yeah. It, all your, you've got all your ferns. Um, vi- you've got other viburnums, the double file viburnums, the Davidii viburnums. Um, you've got your different kind of hollies, sky pencil holly. There's a lot of things you can do in part, you know, 50-50 mix. One plant that is really dramatic, and especially if you're going for a tropical effect, are some of the big flowered hibiscus varieties, yeah. like hibiscus mastiotus. Yeah, the swamp hibiscus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, then they put out dinner plate size yeah, flowers. Yeah, and then don't forget, um, just even for like uh, low growing things, you've got Burginia, mm-hmm. the Ryope, your hookahs. Right now, the hellebores are coming in. Those are really pretty. Yeah. Um, all and those do really well in dry shade. Exactly, yeah. and great on the north side of a house. Yeah, too. and then don't forget Daphne. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing with Daphne is do not praise it to its face because don't look at it. Don't, no, look at it. Just <laughs> just enjoy just it. Just enjoy it. Yes. And ignore it. Yes. Yeah. Don't 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 fuss over it. Yeah, just ignore it. If it's doing fine where it is, leave well enough alone yeah. in that situation. All right. I believe Mike has lined up five or six people who uh, might have an answer for today's garden grappler. So what we'll do is take a break, and when we come back, we will get to their answers and find out if somebody can name an edible, cool-season, green leafy vegetable. First five correct callers get a prize. Bonus prize for caller five. Garden grappler answers when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Dave Ramsey here. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's get to your garden grappler answers and see if we've got some winners here. The question is, name an edible, cool season, green, leafy vegetable. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize in caller five. Because as you know, in the garden grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. Quentin Young is here from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, Sacramento County Master Gardener. He will judge the quality of your answers. First up, it is Ken in Rockland. Hi, Ken. Hello, how are you doing? We're doing fine. What uh, leafy green vegetable would you like to mention? Oh, let's go with an easy one, bok choy. Bok choy. Quentin? Yeah, of course. All right. And choy, for those who don't know, is spelled C-H-O-I. And bok is... B-O-K. Is it B-O-K? Not B-A-K. Bok choy. And it is... It's an interesting plant in that, yes, it has edible leaves, but isn't the root area edible as well? The stem is. The well. stem is. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. That that's thick, what white, you... fleshy stem. Yeah. yeah, that's almost, to me, the best part. And that's what we use uh, in for baking salmon is to slice up that stem part and uh, put that in with the salmon as it bakes. So, yeah. That's that, good. That's very tasty. Ken, good answer there with bok choy. What do we have for everybody today, Fred? Today... On the Garden Grappler, we have, uh, oh, two of my handouts, one called Choosing and Planting Bare Root Fruit and Nut Trees, and also my list of winter garden chores. So we'll be sending that your way, okay? Thank you very much. Ken, thanks for hanging on the phone there. Appreciate that with the answer of bok choy. Caller number two, it's Mary in Calusa. Hi, Mary. Hello. So, Mary, go ahead and give us a uh, green leafy vegetable. How about one that you mentioned, Sierra Nevada Red Cross lettuce? Well, that's actually two varieties, but that's okay. Oh. Yeah. All right. And yeah, that, well, that works. Great. Yeah. That works. So, so now I have a technical question for you, Quentin. Since she mentioned Sierra Nevada and Red Cross as lettuce varieties, 
If somebody else names another lettuce variety, would you accept that as an answer? I think I would. I'm feeling okay. generous. Today. All right. Okay. Uh, all right, Mary, I'll be sending you my handouts on how to choose and plant bare root fruit trees as well as uh, the winter garden chores handout. All right. Thank you. All right, Mary. Thanks for calling thanks, Mary. in. All right. Let's get back here to Sacramento and talk with Christy. Hey, Christy. Good morning. Good morning. So what green leafy vegetable would you like to munch on right now? I'm going to go with kale. All right, kale. Yeah, excellent. Interesting thing about kale, Quentin, and talk a little bit about that. The there, There's two kinds. You've got the green kale and then the pretty kale. Which tastes better? You mean the ornamental kale? Yeah. I think it depends on whether you like the taste of kale. You could still eat the ornamental kale, but it's kind of bitter. Yeah. You know, so I, I would usually prefer the, the longleaf kales. But the winter kale, a lot of them are quite decorative in, in a garden mm-hmm. by themselves. Yeah. And uh, does cooking sweeten them up? Yes, and the frost sweeten them up as well. So okay. once they get fairly large, they're a little bit a little bit too fibrous to eat mm-hmm. raw. Yeah. So you would want to cook them in general. You can pick them when they're young for salad, but when they get older, they look be- they taste better with cooking. All right, kale, good answer, Christy. So I'll be sending you my handouts on winter garden chores and choosing and planting bare root fruit and nut trees. Thank you. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, All Christy. Right. Next up. Uh, up to Alta and Linda. Hi, Linda. Oh, it's Lynn. Hi. It's it's Lynn. Okay. It is. I got it. Yeah. So, Lynn, uh, uh, what, do you have a green that isn't a kale, a Sierra Nevada or Red Cross lettuce or bok choy? I, I do. I it's, thought so. Okay. I didn't spell it correctly, but kohlrabi. Kohlrabi. Yes. Okay. We're talking about a green, right? Yes. Yes, because yes. you can eat kohlrabi leaves. So I will give you that, yes. Okay. Do you have to cook them first? Uh, that's a good question. All right. And kohlrabi, if I recall correctly, is K-O-H-L-R-A-B-I. Does that sound right? I think it's K-H. K-H. Oh, K-H-O-L. Okay. Not coal like the store, but K-H-O-L like some radio station yes. somewhere. All right. Kohlrabi. All right. Lynn, good answer. I'll be sending you uh, those handouts. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for calling. And that brings us to caller five. It is. And you do have to cook them. I'm sorry. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. All right. Ted in Oakdale, how the heck are you? My golly, it's been a long time since I got to talk to you. Yeah, Ted. uh, Do you still have some property? Well, my church starts in the morning and I I go to church in the morning, but today I got out. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's good. But do you have room for a fruit tree? That's my question. Oh, yes, it's a ranch, you know that. Okay, yeah. all right. I wanted to make sure you're still living at the ranch. Oh, yeah, I'm still here at the ranch at Crane Road. All right, so as long as, as long as you got some property and room for a fruit tree, if you can come up with a fifth green leafy vegetable, I have for you from our friends at Dave Wilson Nursery, located not too far from you, a, right. fi- a five-in-one five fruit salad tree that features the gold dust peach, the July Alberta peach, the Independence nectarine, the Blenheim wow. apricot, and a late Santa Rosa plum. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. Five-in-one fruit salad tree. Guess who wins after five years? <laughs> that's an awesome tree, you know that? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that, in that Santa Rosa plum, too. i got two of those trees. They're, they're just fantastic, aren't they? Well, I think this one, you'll have a third one if you can name a green leaf vegetable. Okay. Well, I'm going to go I'm going to go with Swiss chard. Of course, my, my main one was, was kale because I, I, use, I grow a lot of the Portuguese-style kale, the cane, tall cane kale. Yeah, and that's a really nice one. That's a really tender, sweet kale. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I grow here. 
And it's fantastic because I make old Portuguese kale soup. You know, that's good stuff. All right. And, well, Swiss chart. Now, is that a good answer? Yeah, that's a great chart. All right. Hey, answer. so, Ted, congratulations. We'll be sending you from Dave Wilson Nursery that five-in-one fruit salad tree. Oh, right. I think it's going to be a tree or, or a certificate. No, it's a tree. A tree is going to show up. All right. Well, you have a good day. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Yeah, certificate would be so much easier. But, no, we're going to do it the hard way. Yeah, we're going to send you a tree. Way, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, All Thanks, right, Dad. good job. Now I got to ask you again, so I can write it down. Portuguese, Portuguese kale, kale, Portuguese yeah. and kale, and we carry the seeds from Renee's garden. All right, yeah, it's not called Portuguese kale, though, is it? It is, yeah. Oh, it yeah. is Portuguese okay. kale, yeah. All right, and it's, it's a more more tender, more sweet than your typical kale. So people who may not like kale because it might be a little bit too uh, bitter or too strong tasting, mm-hmm. Portuguese kale, Portuguese kale is uh, really popular with them. Well, I'm going to have to try that now. All right. Do you have it in plants? Uh, not yet. Okay. I've not seen. We haven't had it in the in plants in the past, but yeah. I'll get you a packet of seeds if you want. Okay. <laughs> that, it's we, the least I could do. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it's, um, hmm, all right. Portuguese kale. Yeah, and we have customers that come in specifically for that kale every year. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. really tender, really sweet kale. All right. Uh Let's see now. Somebody's calling in and wants a list of events from the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center for next weekend. So before you leave, Quentin, tell us what are you going to be doing at the workshop at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center next weekend? If it was somebody who didn't give their name who sent in that question, I have a funny feeling it was somebody we know. Could be. Yes. But uh, so first of all, if you go to the Fair Oaks Horticulture website, there will be a link that shows you all of the open garden days and workshop days for the entire year. Plus, there'll be a uh, link for the agenda for this Saturday. But there's going to be um, from 9.15 to 10 o'clock, there'll be a pruning fruit tree workshop. There'll also be a pruning grape workshop um, from 10.15 to 11. They'll be showing how to prune berries, um, blueberries and cane berries, as well as pruning landscape trees. And then from 11.15 till noon, there'll be a workshop on constructing a worm bin. And then there'll be other ongoing demonstrations throughout the day that you can just sort of walk up and ask questions. Plus, they're going to be um, having the you know the ask a master ask a master gardener table where you can bring mm-hmm. in you know things to be diagnosed. And then they'll also be selling the garden guide and calendar. All right, and from nine to noon this this coming Saturday on the twentieth. Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is on Fair Oaks Boulevard in Fair Oaks Park, just south of Madison, next to the library. And uh, besides uh, their uh, website, you can visit the Sacramento County Master Gardener Facebook page Perfect, as well for yeah. all this great information about what's happening out there. Rain or shine. and Yeah, exactly. And the workshops are every month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's usually always open garden days. I think this is one of our few workshop days where mm-hmm. we're actually giving, you know, sit-down lectures, right. things like that. But there, even on the open garden days, there's still informal talks and presentations. That's next Saturday. As always, Quentin Young, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery Manager, Master Gardener. Thanks for uh, dropping by the radio Thank you. place. I have to get back to work. Yeah, you yeah. go back to work. I'll go back to work. And coming up in a few minutes, we're talking with Warren Roberts out of the UC Davis Arboretum. Find out what's putting on a show in January. That's coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. It's so... Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. 
Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Every month we like to talk to Warren Roberts, find out what's in bloom at the Arboretum at UC Davis. Not only what's in bloom, but interesting plants that are putting on a great show here in the dead of winter because of the structure of the plant or maybe the color of the bark or some other interesting facets. And there are plants that are starting their bloom cycle now as well. But there's never enough time to get through all the plants that are doing something at the UC Davis Arboretum each month over on the KFBK Garden Show. So we always have to drag Warren on over here to KSTE to finish off the list. And uh, we, we do it in alphabetical order. And Warren Roberts, who's the uh, superintendent emeritus out there at the UC Davis Arboretum, I believe when we last left you, we were uh, talking about the Iris Golden Immortal, which uh, took us down to the letter I. But there is still a standout plant that I think we should mention again that begins with the letter E. Yes, uh, <clears throat> Uriops pectinatus, which is a um, <clears throat> daisy relative from South Africa, beautiful yellow flowers, spectacularly in bloom uh, right now, especially at the campus entrance. We have a nice big patch of it. So that's uh, certainly a good plan for, for, for uh, well, actually it blooms all year, but at winter time, if it's not, if we don't get frost, uh, we'll, we'll, um, it'll be spectacular. So that's that's our most spectacular plant, I think, right now. It's a very um, neat shrub. It's a it's a shrub that only gets maybe three or four feet tall, but it maintains its green leaves, and it's guaranteed to have yellow flowers on it from about uh, September through June. Yeah, September through June, and then a few even uh, on in through the summer. So it's very a uh, very successful plant, and if it starts looking a little bit gangly, you can prune it back about half halfway. And then it'll it'll recover quickly. Uh, it's not one of those you prune way back because it might not uh, a little be a little bit too discouraged and not come back. Uh, also, almost as spectacular still is the Christmas cheer Knipphoffia or poker plant, and uh, that is I think of the whole group of of poker plants, it's the most spectacular. And its main blooming period is is late fall into winter and into spring. And if you have it in a slightly shady spot, uh, you can have uh, flowers uh, showing up almost all year with this cultivar. The Christmas cheer, Nepophia, is still putting on a show in my front yard. I'm so glad you you like that plant and have been telling us about it for so long. Well, it's just nothing succeeds like success. Like <laughs> <laughs> the, the Coruteria elegans is, I was I was not going to talk about it, but I looked at it today and it made me go. <gasps> Because it's still covered with um, the pods, they faded to a pale pink. But there's nothing on the tree except these pink balloons. And with another frost, they've, everything should drop. So, but it looks still looks pretty good. Lavatera meridima is a hibiscus relative uh, with kind of gray green leaves, and the flowers are lavender, sort of a lavender pink, kind of a wisteria color, uh, and then in the center is dark purple. Um, that's another plant that blooms almost all year. It's native to the western Mediterranean near the sea, uh, and it's a, a very successful plant. I, I first knew it from gardens in Berkeley, and uh, it does fine here. What was the species on that Lavatera again? Lavatera maritima or Lavatera bicolor. It, it, it goes by the one. I'm not sure which one is. It, bicolor is descriptive because the, the flower has two colors. 
and meridima is descriptive too because it it tends to grow near the near the uh, Mediterranean in its native habitat. Or if I can use my California accent, maritima. Maritima, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that might even be the correct way. <laughs> I don't know, but I know that is another plant that you've talked about over the years, and I have put that one in my front yard as well. And it has just taken off. It's it's just it's going gangbusters. Yeah, it gets a little bigger than one than one plans. I had I had one here, and finally I had to take it out. It was just to where it was planted. I did it, didn't put it in the right place. It gets about twelve feet wide and about about I'd say eight feet tall or more. If you if if it if you have that much room, it's one of those plants that blooms again. Blooms almost all year. Another plant which gives color all year is Nandina, the uh, heavenly bamboo native to Japan, Korea, China. And right now, some varieties of it have red winter color, and those same leaves will actually, when the weather warms up, will turn green. And the fruit, the berries, uh, typically red, and lots of them. Uh, in Japan, it's traditionally planted near the entrance to a house as a way of saying welcome. And we have in front of Mrak Hall on the Davis campus a big planting at the entrance of the campus. So, of course, you're always welcome here at Davis. Another plant from that same area, the um, so-called uh, flowering apricot, Prunus mume, M-U-M-E. There's a cultivar we have called Matsubara Red, which has red flowers. And in bloom right now, no leaves on the plant. It's a cloud of red flowers. We have a nice specimen of that in the store garden. Uh, in the west part of the Arboretum. There are other cultivars of Prunus mume, and we have a, we have a pink one, white one, so, but the, but the biggest one of the ones we have is the one called Matsubara Red. I love the phenological story you tell about the Prunus mume. Which story is that? The story of the local farmer who uses that to oh, gauge yeah. when to spray his fruit trees. That's right, because it's the first thing to come into bloom, and then uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I've got to find out uh, the the timing on that. But people, uh, local people, know that it, oh, if the prunus mume is in bloom, then they have to. I think apply uh, a spraying for um, peach leaf curl. But I, I think there may be other things too. It's a signal, and it's uh, you can't fool it. <laughs> it follows the climate. Rodius malvasium, which is the um, the chaparral current native to the foothills of California. It goes dormant in summer, but this time of year it's in bloom with its pink flowers. And uh, again, it's blooming without without leaves. Uh, Brides malvasium, a good plant for dry, sort of dry, bright shade uh, conditions. The salvia that is showing the most color right now is um, salvia chamadrioides. It's is a salvia from Mexico, and the flowers are pure blue. Now, it's really hard to find pure blue in garden plants because typically you have a little bit of purple in them. But this is a pure blue plant. Uh, it gets about a foot high and uh, blue flowers almost all year, but right now it's in full bloom. The uh, Montezuma cypress is showing its winter color. I can't say fall because it's fall is over and it usually doesn't turn color until until winter. But the, uh, the leaf uh, um, twigs, I guess you'd call it, uh, turn orange and yellow this time of year. Um, so I, I would uh, say it's a, a useful tree for the, for seasonal color. It's a good lawn tree. You 
need something that tolerates lawn irrigation, you know, strategically placed. But beware that it can get big. The biggest one is has a trunk 50 feet too. So in time, it can get large. The uh, Templetonia retusa, which is a legume from west uh, southwest Australia, is in bloom now. And it's called cocky's tongues. I guess cockatoos have red tongues. I don't know. I haven't uh, seen that part of the cockatoo. But it's, um, I called it scimitar pea because it's shaped kind of like a curved sword, the, the red flower is. It's one of those that it, made, it kind of turned in my head quickly because I drove by. I so, thought, wow, what's that? And then I asked my colleagues and they told me, Templetonia retusa. And I guess to finish out the alphabet, yucca gloriosa, the, a yucca native to the southeast of the U.S. And it's putting out its, uh, its uh, ivory-colored flowers right now. So we've gone through the alphabet. Right? I, th- I think we've done a fine job considering it's January, it's foggy, it's cold, we get a little bit of rain, and yet there are plenty of plants to enjoy on a January visit to the UC Davis Arboretum, which is open seven days a week. And for more information about the Arboretum, you can visit their website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu, where you can also find out about upcoming events, such as the Walk with Warren that happens every month. Uh, I think, uh, Warren, the next one is what? Wednesday, February 14th at noon? That's correct. At the Out at the gazebo, which is south of the vet school on the Davis campus. And how about a plant sale in March? And we have a plant sale in March on the 10th of March. It's a membership sale, but you can join at the door. It doesn't cost very much to become a member. And then they they have, I think, get discounts and one thing and another uh, if you when you join. So that would be a that would be strategic because <clears throat> uh, this is the first sale of the year. A lot of things that were not for sale last uh, year are uh, uh, showing up for the first time this year. And beautifully grown, a, a beautiful nursery with its own demonstration garden. And it's near the store garden. A lot of the variety of the arboretum uh, regarding garden plants uh, is in that same area. Well, I know uh, all you got to do is mention arboretum plant sale and, and dogs start barking. And it's just a wonderful event. It gets everybody excited. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, uh, I plan to be there, so if you have questions, I'll I'll be there and hope to answer your questions as well. All right. Again, that'll be in March. It's the second Saturday in March, March the 10th, I do believe. Yes. All right. Warren Roberts, UC Davis Arboretum, always a pleasure. Let's do this again in February, shall we? Well, let's do it. That sounds great, Fred. All right. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, Fred. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Folks, a little ramp. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's take a look at upcoming garden events in our area. There's a 10-week garden series starting Tuesday, January 16th. It's called the Green Gardener at Home, and it's for home gardeners. It's a 10-week course. It's every Tuesday evening from January 16th through March 20th. And it's all about how you can improve your yard. It'll cover sustainable gardening practices such as improving soil health, selecting plants appropriate for our climate, how to design and maintain your landscape, using rainwater as a resource, as well as preventing water runoff. And it'll be held at the Roseville Utility Exploration Center. 
on Pleasant Grove Boulevard, 1501 Pleasant Grove Boulevard. That's in Mahaney Park. And if you want more information about these classes, and there is a fee for these classes, $55 for Roseville residents, $65 for non-residents. If you want more information about this, you can call 916-746-1550. All sorts of uh, very qualified people will be telling you about different aspects of good garden practices, including Steve Zion, who's on this program, Sacramento's organic advocate. He's one of the teachers out there. And again, uh, for more information about the Green Gardener at Home series, you can call 916-746-1550 to be held in Roseville on the next uh, 10 Tuesday evenings. All right. Maybe you want to be a master food preserver. A master gardener, of course, helps people out uh, answering gardening questions. A master food preserver does just that, helps you preserve what you grew. You grew it, now eat it. That's what the master food preservers help you do, to keep that food fresh and healthy so that you can store it. So if you enjoy canning or drying food, you maybe just want to learn how to do it. Uh, no better way than becoming a UC Master Food Preserver. And up in Amador and Calaveras County, if you're a resident up there, they're having uh, their auditions, if you will, their, their informational meetings and, and where you can learn how to be a Master Food Preserver and join their program. And that meeting will be at 956 Mountain Ranch Road in San Andreas, and it'll be held next Saturday at 10 a.m. If you want more information about that and you live in that area, you can call 530-621-5528. Speaking of gardening in the foothills, the Amador County Master Gardeners have a class called just that, an introduction to gardening in the foothills. If you just moved there from the Bay Area or Southern California, and maybe you've never had to contend with deer before or freezing temperatures. Well, this class can help you out as far as overcoming those gardening challenges. And that class will be at the GSA building in Jackson at 12200 Airport Road, 9 to noon next Saturday. I believe it is a free class. It's open to anyone. No reservations are required. For more information, you can call 209-223-6838. All right. Next Saturday as well, the uh, Yolo County Master Gardeners have a couple of classes coming up, including a class on rose pruning. That'll be held at Woodland Community College in Building 400. Woodland Community College is at 2300 East Gibson Road in Woodland. And Master Gardeners of Yolo County will discuss dormant season pruning and caring for your roses. You'll learn the basics of rose pruning techniques and more. And uh, for more information about that, you can visit the Yolo County Master Gardener website, or call 530-666-8737. On that same day in Davis, the Yolo County Master Gardeners have a class on winter care of fruit trees. That'll be held at the United Methodist Church at 1620 Anderson in Davis. And it's uh, as the name implies, it's all about learning how to fertilize and irrigate, uh, winter pruning, dormant spraying, and uh, there'll even be a hands-on lesson for the proper pruning of fruit trees in the Grace Garden Orchard located behind the church, weather and time permitting. That'll be next Saturday, 9 to 11 a.m. in Davis, put on by the Yellow County Master Gardeners. Next Saturday, the Napa County Master Gardeners have a class on growing berries, and that'll be held at their meeting room, which is at 1710 Soskal Avenue in Napa. You'll find out uh, how you can 
basically go out to your yard and return to the kitchen with bowls full of fresh berries ready to eat. Well, that could be your garden, and you can find out how to grow them uh, at that Napa County Master Gardener get-together next Saturday, 9.30 to 11.30 on in Soskill Avenue in Napa. And for more information, you can call 707-253-4221, 707-253-4221. We mentioned the workshop at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. That's next Saturday, 9 to noon. Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, Winter Pruning Workshop, 11549 Fair Oaks Boulevard, just south of Madison, and it's free. And it'll be uh, next Saturday, rain or shine, 9 to noon. And at that uh, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center get-together, you can also find the Sacramento County Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar for sale. If you live in the foothills, I would recommend the Placer County Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar that you can find at various nurseries throughout the foothill counties of Nevada, El Dorado, and Placer. So uh, take advantage of that. Good gifts for the gardeners on your shopping list. I think that's everybody's covered. Okay. I haven't covered uh, the farm hour yet. That's coming up at noon on this very radio station after the news. And on the KSDE farm hour this week, we're going to be talking about the that Oroville Dam report that came out. It's like a 580-page report. And it, it has blame for everybody as far as what went wrong at the Oroville Dam last February. From the construction way back when to what was actually going on uh, during the emergency last February. And interestingly enough, like days after this report came out, the Department of Water Resources made a switch at the top. Their general manager's gone. They have a new general manager. Okay, we'll tell you the ramifications of that. And uh, another thing that we focus on on the Farm Hour coming up The American Farm Bureau Federation had their convention last week. Donald Trump spoke to the farmers. Farmers love Donald Trump generally because he is loosening federal regulations, especially the onerous WOTUS, Waters of the United States rules. Uh, The inheritance tax has been revised. Farmers like that, and a lot of people like that. And uh, other things that are benefits to farmers. But then he started talking about the wall. And the reaction he got wasn't your typical Donald Trump reaction. We have that story as well. So you hear that on the KSTE Farm Hour. And also, uh, for almond growers out there, you may be getting ready to apply fungicides. We have some tips for you on the proper fungicides to apply to almond orchards this time of year. So we have all that and a lot more, including uh, tips for organic weed control in agriculture. So all that coming up on the KSDE Farm Hour, noon to one o'clock on this very radio station, as well as available as a podcast, streaming live at KSDE.com, streaming all the time at the iHeartRadio app, and downloadable as a podcast from your favorite third-party podcast aggregator, including iTunes. All right, we have time for one more look at the weather. It's going to be an interesting week for the weather if you're going to go out and do some gardening. You may want to do it today. You may want to do it early tomorrow because the rest of the week, it looks iffy with rain. Chance of rain uh, late Monday after 4 p.m., and that chance of rain continues Monday night through Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, partly sunny. Chance of showers returns Wednesday night. Rain likely Thursday. Chance of rain on Friday, mostly cloudy Saturday. So you're going to have to pick your spots this week. And the temperatures, for the most part, Highs near 
60 in the Sacramento area, overnight lows. Not cold at all. We're, we've really caught a break this year from really cold weather. And uh, freezing temperatures have been rare this past winter. And overnight lows for the coming week are going to be in the upper 40s. So that's not bad at all. Uh, and as far as to say that the weather on Monday would be mostly sunny might be an exaggeration. What you see outside right now, overcast, kind of foggy in some spots, that's what you're probably going to get tomorrow.